Father, we declare you as our strength tonight. Lord, we love you. And we acknowledge that in our weakness, you step in and you make us strong. And Father, we bow all of our lives down to you this afternoon. We realize that in you, there's fullness of joy. In you, God, we can have our satisfaction of our desires met. And so, God, we come tonight acknowledging that we long for you and only you. That we come to your temple and we want you to reign over our lives. And so, God, we pray that the work of the Holy Spirit tonight would be evident and that you'd push us deeper into our relationship with you, God, and you'd remove all those things that get caught up in our minds and our heart. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reach exactly where we are and draw us deeper. And so tonight, Lord, remove all the distractions. Make my love grow for you. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, um, I'm proud of myself because I am not a sloppy mess at this point, seeing my daughter get baptized. Praise God. Praise God. I thought I was going to uh, have a conniption, but I did not. And I'm quite proud of myself. Um, And normally I have this little thing set up on my phone, but I got all emotional and stuff. All right. Um, It's good to have you here uh, this afternoon. It's also good that we can be able to, uh, one of the things you saw is that we brought the kids down because we want the children to be able to see just folks getting baptized, making that decision uh, for Christ and making that public. Uh, One of the things that we are doing right now, we are ending our series in the book of Revelation. And it's actually been a journey for us because one of the things we said before was that uh, the book of Revelation is a book that we oftentimes don't look at because we presume it's a scary book or it's a book that has all these things about dragons with seven heads and there's, is, is, is it talking about Russia and all these different things. But really this book was not intended to be something to bring you fear. In fact, it's really not intended to be a book that you're actually supposed to work really hard to figure out a timeline. One of the things that I said last week, and I want to repeat to you that this book, its intention It's really a vision God has given to a man so that it would bring hope to people, people going through tough times. And so when you look at this, remember this is a vision. So you should see this more like an art gallery, not like a timeline. And so there have been things that we've pointed out in order for you to see the vision, the vision that God wanted us to see and to embrace. We talked couple weeks ago about how there was this moment where God was meeting with his people. He said that it was like a bride with a husband. And we talked clearly that that's how God views our relationship. We're going to see a picture of that again today. But one of the things that has been repeated in this book is this one phrase, then I saw. Because he has a vision that he sees. So he, he said, then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. And we knew that this scroll was the will and deed of earth and how things were going to play out. Then he said, I saw a lamb that had been slain. And we know that this, was, this lamb was Christ who was our Passover, who died for our sins. 
He said, I saw a mighty angel coming down out of heaven and they were announcing all these judgments onto the earth. We talked about and mentioned that he saw a beast and he saw a great white throne. 10 times, John will say, then I saw. And this, this text, as we close this book, this is the last time he says, then I saw. Out of the 10 times he says it. And so in Revelation 21, and one, if you have your Bible, open up to Revelation 21. And he says in 21 verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Now this was meant to be a hopeful journey into what life will be like in eternity. And so he's trying to give us descriptions and pictures of what eternity will be like. And so you've got 70 or 80 years at best. But eternity is your real life. And this is a temporal, we call it temporal world because it's a temporary world, but that's lasting. And so he wants us to see what is this like? And so he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now we can get very deep at this moment, but what he, one of the things that we see, particularly in Peter, but we see that the, the old earth, because he says there's a new earth, the old earth actually is the same earth. It's the same physical place, but this context of this new earth will be holy. And heaven will now come down, and heaven and earth will be one. And he says that God will be with his people. So one of the things that we grasp in this moment is that what God is talking about is not what we generally see in the you know, images that you might see on TV or in paintings where there's like folks chilling on clouds and people like having doves and they're flying with doves and stuff. It's a concrete physical world where the physical and material are things that we operate in. And so earth, as we have known it, is going to be earth that we live in, but better. And it will be a holy dwelling place that we are with God. So there are real bodies that we'll have. The scripture tells us we'll have a glorified body, a body as it's intended to be. And I think my hair will come back, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm trusting that I'll be able to have a part in glory. <laughs> but, 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 but understand, so, so what he's trying to tell you is you have actually tasted heaven on earth. You, you've, you've had good days. You've, had, you've been in worship services where you've been just blown away by the moment. 
And your eternity, you've felt it some days. You've had these holy moments. And so one of the things I don't want you to miss there is that he said, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. The final chapter of earth is everyone living in a city. That's very important because city life will be everyone's life. He didn't say a holy suburb, right? But he says a city because in a city, you have density and diversity, everyone coming together. There could be subways in eternity. Hallelujah. They always run on time and they're free. (laughs) Praise God. They're not too crowded. But it's, it's everything we've ever wanted. And we're with all types of people. And it is a concrete, real place. Think about your best day. Best day you've ever had. The day that you said, man, I wish this day would never end. I mean, maybe you went to like a worship concert and you had your hands lifted up and you were crying and maybe a preacher came out. He spoke a word in your life. It just, it revealed things to you and you, you, you know, you, um, you know, you stuck your hand out for a cab and it immediately came and you got in the car and then you talked to a person and they were like your cousin you didn't know or whatever, you know, it was an amazing day. Then you went home and you talked to your wife and you had a great conversation with your wife. And then y'all decided later on to make cookies together and whatnot, you know, just hot cookies. And then you, you just have a great time talking to one. And then you get up the next day and then your kids, you're having a great conversation with and you're like, this is a great day. Have you ever had a great day? A wonderful day, or even a wonderful week? You ever have a good year? (laughs) Still waiting for that good year? When the Bible tells us that that heaven, the eternal dwelling place, is physical, and that we'll be with people, and that we'll be with God, it helps us to realize then that our greatest moments on heaven, our greatest, greatest moments on earth have only been a taste of heaven. Understand it this way. Um, anybody ever have cold stone ice cream? Is there, I believe there's an anointing there, all right, at cold stone. I believe God is doing something at cold stone. And it has like this great ice cream, right? And um, they have three sizes, right? Uh, like it, love it, and gotta have it, right? It's just like, like the really big one, right? But there's actually another size, and it's when they say you can taste it, right? They give you a little spoon, and they say, would you like to try certain things? And see, I'm, you know, my wife liked the birthday cake kind. You know, you could taste it, and I'm a really big Rocky Road. I don't think they call it Rocky Road, but whatever Rocky Road was life, I was big into that. And you can taste it, and so when you purchase Gotta Have It, it's this huge bucket of ice cream. And the imagery there is that imagine tasting something. But then imagine having a whole bucket of it to the point where you just can't take anymore. It's more than enough. That day that you cried because things were so good, that was only a taste of glory. And one day you will be with God forever. And you're going to walk around with people and run into them. And you're going to have these great conversations with them. And you're going to see people on the street. And you're going to say hello. And we're going to be connected forever. It's a concrete, material, real place we're going to. And we are going to connect deeply. 
And he says in verses, uh, verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. What are those previous things? The previous things he's talking about is hurt, fear, worry, doubt. All those things will be gone. And in heaven, our painful memories will be memories without pain. You'll be able to talk about that divorce and you'll just be able to bring it up and you won't cry. You'll be able to talk about some of the hardest moments you've ever been through. And and you'll remember all the details. And there won't be a moment when you get caught up. Because pain itself will be a memory, but it will not bring about pain. Pain will be no more. Death will be no more. Grief will be no more. You'll remember those moments. You'll remember loneliness. You remember loneliness? You'll sit, I can imagine the day when I sit down and talk about loneliness like it was a memory. Yeah, fear. And so you will look back at life, but you won't feel the weight that you used to feel. And he says in Revelation 21 and 5, he who is seated on the throne, he says, I am making everything new. Everything new. This new earth that he's making new, it's everything we want. In the Bible, there are two words used for new. It's the word neos and the word kainos. The word neos is the word young in terms of duration. And the word kainos is the word quality, fresh, nice, shiny. And so when we want something new, we want it to come out the box and be clean. And then we want it to have all these different elements of it, fresh, and it enchants us. It excites us because it's new. And when you have something that's brand new to the table and it's not worn out and old, and it's fresh and exciting, there's something about it that brings us this, like, we get pumped up about new things. That's why iPhone in perpetuity can come out, and they can just say, we have a new button, and people be like, bet, and they'll stand online. (laughs) Not because it's new in terms of something fresh, it's just new. It's new. It's that idea of just, it's something new out the box. And there's something about that that gets us excited. And the reason why new excites us, because old makes us fearful. When we think of duration, when we think of things wearing down, when we think of thermodynamics, and that is that the fact that things, all things fall apart. And that, yes, there is a time when 22 is dope and 25 is popping and 27 is amazing. And then at 28, you start wondering, should I tell my age? Then you get 30 and 35, and then aging doesn't become cool anymore because you're not new. And now protein and being a vegan is a big deal because you want to be old but look new. 
And the reality is, is that newness excites us. Being, seeing new things in this, and it, and it brings about in us a deep desire. We want neos and kainos. We want something that's new and doesn't get old. We want quality and duration. We want to know it's new and it never ends. It's always good. That's what we want. And it bothers us when things don't work the way they should. It bothers us when, we, when, when something that we bought, we want it to feel amazing. And if we're honest, sometimes we buy things to feel better because there's something about new. And underneath that desire, underneath all those diets, underneath that new car, that new apartment, underneath new clothes, underneath all that, underneath all these things, we're trying to get relief from an old life. We're trying to be relieved from the fact that life gets boring and that even the new things become unsatisfying over time. And then we, if we're honest, there's something, even when it's new, there's something about it that gets boring. And if we're honest, there's a dullness to this life that we can't shake. Underneath our obsession with the new is actually a hunger for eternity. When he says, I'm making all things new, he's saying, I'm preparing a world where it will always be fresh and it will never get old. And that thing that you need to have through purchases will now be purchased for you. And you'll now see it every day. And things won't wear down anymore. And our bodies won't wear down anymore. And we won't be bored. We won't get bored with people and we won't get bored with things. We won't have that hunger and that drive. I gotta have more because we'll have enough because God will be with us. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has planted eternity in the human heart. That's what it is. That's what it is. And that's why the things that we focus on so much, after a year, we start giving the side eye because we don't want it as much anymore. It's eternity in our hearts, that hunger for new and more. Now, we must remember the context of what was happening here and what was happening with these people. The leader of the government was persecuting Christians. So to be upfront about your faith and to have the Roman authorities address you and to step to you about being a Christian was lethal. As they rode on their horses and asked you if you thought Caesar was king or Jesus was king. And if you said Jesus, you were incurring the death penalty. You were putting yourself out there. And as we said earlier that they were tied to horses and pulled apart. They had drills drilled in their heads and they were thrown to lions just because they were saying Jesus is king. And God sent this message to them so that they would not be afraid of the next day. 
This was meant so that they would not fear. He wanted them to see Revelation 21 so they wouldn't be afraid to say, Jesus is king and Jesus is Lord, so I'm not afraid of the lions, nor am I afraid of the drills. I'm not afraid of the death that could be impending from living out my faith. That's what he was saying to them. And the reason why this is supposed to be important for us is because if they were living this out and they weren't afraid of being torn apart by horses, how could I be afraid of a boss? How could I be afraid of losing a job? How could I be intimidated by people when the people that have gone before me weren't dealing with just a bad day, but life and death? And they were using this book as a means of hope to know that I can go on and I can face whatever fear knowing God's got me and he will take care of me and eternity is mine. That's what they were dealing with. And they were facing all types of trial, a persecution of which we could not imagine, particularly in America. And so Romans 8 is a very important, instructive text for us. Romans 8 and 18. It says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. He's saying, when I look at the glory I will experience with God, and then I look at the suffering of this present age, it's not even worth comparing. Now, notice um, just in Romans 8, it it says, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy. So um, at that time, the, the idea of considering something is literally weighing it, that I, I weigh one idea with another idea. I look at the weight of my job with the weight of glory. I look at the weight of my marriage with the streets of gold. I look at time on earth with time in heaven. I look at time with people and time with Jesus, time in a sinful temporal state, and yet time in an eternal everlasting state with God. And you have to weigh it. But part of the problem is we live under the weight of the world, but we don't weigh the world. We don't weigh what we are looking at. We don't consider it with anything else. We think this is just the way it is and it's always gonna be this way. And God sent a revelation to me and to you to say, what is now will not always be. Weigh it, consider it, and know what you are facing now. He says it's not even worth comparing. It's not even worth comparing what you will experience. And the whole world is in fear of the tyranny of a government or the fear of any kind of nuclear proliferation or even losing money or anything along those lines. And at the same time, God is saying, look at that, but just look at it quickly, but gaze into glory and consider it, weigh it. 
And this will never be real in your heart if you don't let, know that your heart is a scale and you've got to weigh the truths of God's word and let it change you. Let the weight of the word change you. And so in Romans, he says, I, I, I consider it and I weigh it and I think about it. And so what John was told was right because these words in verse five, he says, right, because these words are faithful and they are true. He says, write it down. These words are both faithful and true. Write this down. Now that's an incredibly important point because he actually told him, don't just get caught up in this vision and only see. I want you to write this down because this is a useful element for your life. Um, the words faithful and true. <laughs> he says, these are faithful, meaning this is helpful, this will work for you, but they're also true. When we are trying to endure in life, oftentimes we want something that's gonna be faithful to us, meaning we want good words that are helpful that'll get us through the day, but they may not be true. Um, I... Uh, I've been uh, working out more, praise God. And uh, thank you, thank you, appreciate that, thank you. And I have this uh, one app who, uh, while I'm running, or uh, biking, I can't run, but uh, while I'm biking, while I'm biking, um, there is like, it'll give me a countdown, and so it's really cool, it'll tell me how much time I have left. And then while, so it'll have like 30 seconds where I'm really like pushing hard and there's 30 seconds where I can rest. And it's really cool because when I'm pushing hard, um, the, the guy will be like, go, you can do it, you can go. And he'll give me like these statements, like if you keep working, you won't be as fat, you know, that kind of thing. Like he says, he says all these very positive things. So it feels, and then when you're resting, he's like, you, you're, you're calm. You know, it's like, he's like really, really speaking to me, right? And, and if we're honest, like we really need words to get us through the day. We need a word for the day in order to make it through. That's why it's good to be encouraged by people. It's, it's good to have all these different insights that we get from people. But what, what John was being told is write this down because it's faithful, meaning it'll get you through. But he says it's also true. And, and what he's talking about is not just true for a workout or true to make it through life. He's saying true of eternity. And that's very important. Because when I did my first funeral, it was of a woman who, she smoked cigarettes to her very last day. And I remember that um, it, was a, it was an addiction she had. And I remember she put her hand on my hand and said, Pastor, I want to stop. I just can't. Will I still go to heaven? And I said, if cigarettes defined our relationship with God, we'd all be messed up because I don't smoke cigarettes, but I have a lot of other things that I've done in my life. Cigarettes don't get you into heaven. They don't keep you out of heaven. Addictions don't get you into heaven. They don't get you out of heaven. And she says, are you sure? Are you sure I'll be with Jesus? Are you sure? And I, I began to tell her about having a relationship with God and how Christ had died for her. And she said, well, what will happen next? I said, you're going to be with Jesus and you don't have to worry about that cough anymore. 
And honey, you won't have to worry about your pain anymore. She says, are you sure? I says, I'm sure. She says, are you sure? Are you sure? How do you know? I said, because it's right here. She says, but I don't want to make it through. I'm I'm not telling you what will make it through. I'll tell you what's true. This is not just to help you through the day. This is true for life. This is not just to get you through tomorrow. This is to get you to eternity, confident, knowing you're going to see Jesus. Because this is faithful and it's true. It's true. And I remember at her funeral, the woman came out. She sang this old school song. I'm going up yonder. And I remember, no, no, no. (laughs) I remember uh, when they started singing it, I just busted out in tears. And, you know, it it talks about I'm going up to yonder to be with my Lord. If anybody asks you where I'm going, I'm going up yonder to be with my Lord. And listen. I was singing that because I know it's true. Not because it's a good song. John could have, the angel could have said, write this down. He could have said, sing this. He could have said, memorize this. What he was saying is get this into your heart because it's true. In verse six, he says, then he said to me, it's done. He says, it's done. Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty and for the spring of the water of life. I'm the beginning and the end. I dealt with this in the first time, but this is amazing what Jesus says. He says, look at me. Some would say, um, if you know all of something, you say, I know A to Z. But because he was dealing with the Roman culture, he's saying alpha and omega, beginning and end. And Jesus says, I am the beginning and I am the end. And he says, it's done. It's over. All that's over. And what you get is me. In the Greek alphabet, you have 24 letters. 24 letters I had to memorize when I was pledging my fraternity, right? And so in all 24 letters, the beginning of the Greek alphabet is alpha. And what Jesus is saying is the beginning is me. I am the first cause of the first cause. I am the beginning. But he also says, I'm also the end. I'm at the very end of the story. And so when you look at all the letters in the Greek alphabet, and I was saying before, omega, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, xi, omicron, pi, rho, sigma, tau, epsilon, phi, chi, psi, omega, the very last one. He says, when you move through all 24 letters, that's a picture of life. And you could be at omicron right now, meaning you could be in the middle but you could be at the very step of eternity right now. And what he's saying is the final picture is me. You'll see me. My, uh, (laughs) we went to see Black Panther, praise God. And I went with um, people who know this stuff better than me. 
And uh, I, don't, I don't know this stuff. I, and I really, I'm trying to care. Um, but I, I got into it. And I was amazed by the movie. But because I'm not into those movies, there was something I didn't know. When the movie ends, you shouldn't leave. And, and everybody knew except me. So the movie was over. I was like, well, bet. They were like, oh, no. Oh, you crazy. He don't know. He don't know. He don't know. I thought the end meant the end. So I was getting ready to leave. But do you know the world thinks the end means the end? And the fact of the matter is, he's, the reason why he's saying I'm the alpha and omega, he's like, the, 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 the death is not omega. I'm Omega. While everyone is leaving, wait, because there is more at the end, after the end. And so at the end of life, yes, there is a city. Yes, there's a new Jerusalem. Yes, there's a new heaven, new earth. But at the end, it's Jesus. I'm the Omega. I'm the one you see at the end. Much of what we've done here throughout this series is try to get your heart connected to seeing eternity in a different way. And we can latch on to different parts of this text, but I want to just anchor us as we get ready to land the plane of this series. I want to make sure we understand the depths of hope and knowing what your real hope is and where your real hope lies. There is a psychological depth to what you actually hope in. There is a huge implication in your real hope. The English word hope has tons of ambiguity because you can say, I hope to catch a plane. Or you can say, I hope I'm not sick. But the Greek word hope is this idea of certainty. It's concrete. It's actually something that anchors you. It's not a wish. So the importance of hope is that hope is about desires and expectations. You desire something and you expect something to meet that desire. Whatever you believe will meet that desire is your hope. That's your real hope, your true and living hope. When I worked at an insurance company, working my job, um, you ever have somebody tell you how much they make and it changes the way you look at them? And they make more than you? Imagine this. Imagine at a company, you're at a job, And it's a mundane job, as my job was mundane, taking on insurance claims that I would listen to all the time. And people yell at you because they've just been in a car accident, and you have to explain, they explain to you what just happened. And there you are in your cubicle, and the person next to you is there, and the person beside you is there, and you all are working through tough days. 
You're in ideal, you're in identical circumstances. You're both getting yelled at. They don't have a higher up job. You don't have a lower job. Identical circumstances. And then one day, person B during lunch break is just sitting there and they're chilling. Person A is frustrated. Then you come to find out person A makes $1,000 a week. Person B makes $100,000 a week. You see, it's amazing how in the same circumstance, people can go through but have different expectations. If I know that I will get $100,000 just to endure being yelled at, I'll be there like, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, we are horrible. Oh, my God. We are the worst company in the world. But if this job is wearing me down and I'm really not getting my recompense, meaning I don't, I don't really feel like I'm getting what's due to me, then Every time I'm getting yelled at, every time I have to pick up the phone, it's a wait. And then you sit there and you are frustrated because you're looking for the job to fulfill you, not the paycheck. The other person thinks, I'm going to get paid. I mean, what is this? I'm going to get paid. When I leave out of here, in other words, they're in the same circumstance but they have a different perspective about expectations and what they're hoping in. And the problem we have with our hope is that we want to have a happy and fulfilled life. And there's something that we believe that's going to make everything okay. Something's going to make everything all right. And if I just had this, everything would be okay. And there is something in your heart that you fill that blank in on the regular with. And it could be singleness, moving towards marriage. It could be finances, moving towards more financial health. It could be health, moving into being healthier. It could be, it could be friendships, having more friendships. It could be anything. But there could be something that you believe is going to make everything okay. Okay, but the problem is whatever you think is going to make everything okay, one day will get old. I'm not saying gets bad. My wife and I, we have a great marriage, but if my wife was honest, she'd say sometimes it gets old. She would say, James is great, kind of. And more money is great, but it gets old. And, you know, I meet meet with a group of guys on Sunday morning, and we were going through 1 Corinthians, and we started talking about sex. And I was like, sex is amazing, but sex can get old. They were like, nah, fam. I'm like, nah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you that the devil will do anything to get you to want to have sex before marriage, but he'll do everything to prevent you from sex when you're married. Okay, so, so sex is not like, and that's the, sorry, I'm about to trip, but that's the problem, that's the problem with porn. You watch all that porn, you think that's marriage. That's not marriage. That's, that's a movie. Anyway, my point is, 
everything, when you place your hope in anything that's not eternal, it will get old and it will lose its shininess, even when it's still good. And so what the Bible says is, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What is this sickness? What is this sickness that he's speaking of? Why does, why does our heart get sick? What is, what, what is that sickness? The sickness of the heart is cynicism. The downward motion of life, you, you project a negativity on all situations. When your expectations were not met in life or in something, you begin to become a cynical person. You didn't get married, but now your friend's getting married. I get married too if I dress like that. Oop, did I say that? Oh. Your friend got the job, but you didn't get the job. Well, he went to a school I didn't get into, and I couldn't get into it because I didn't, you know, I wasn't a punk like him. I didn't do other things like they did. You become cynical. A sick heart is cynical, and you look at your kids and how other kids are achieving better, and you say, well, they had other things you didn't have. Cynicism happens in the heart when situations don't work out the way you want them to. That's the sickness it's talked about. And that's why it's good to be around people that are older than you. That's good. But beware of cynicism. Beware of that part of people who had hope deferred. And that sickness spills over to you. And it is contagious. And this cynicism, this deferment of hope, it plagues us. But I want you to notice something. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled, it says, is a tree of life. Why doesn't it say, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled makes the heart healthy? Why doesn't it say that? Why does it say a tree of life? Because a longing fulfilled doesn't just make you healthy. It makes you a tree. It doesn't make you good. It means you'll be able to provide hope for other people. When God meets your hope, you become a person of abundance. You become a person who flows out to other people. When your mind and your heart are fixated, not of this world, you don't become cynical. You become bountiful. You have a joy that flows over. You have a love that flows over. And the old folks saying, this joy that I have, oh, the world didn't give it to me. And see, the world didn't give it to me, so the world can't take it away. This joy that I have. And so I'm not cynical, I'm hopeful. I I don't trip when things don't go my way because I've got something better. I weighed it and I know eternity weighs more. I've got a better life working out for me. And I'm not afraid. Oh, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of when life doesn't come my way. I'm not afraid of sickness. And I'm not afraid of death 
because I know Jesus beat death. And so because of that fact, when I get into the worst of moments, I'm not the person that brings us down. I'm the person that lifts people up. I'm a tree. I'm a tree of life. I'm a tree of hope. I'm a tree of joy. People can come under my wings and rest because I know I'm living for something greater and better. Your hope gets exposed every day. What you're anchoring your heart into. Hebrews 11 and 10 says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. He was waiting for something better. And if we're honest, don't you feel it? In marriage, don't you feel it? At work, don't you feel that thing? Don't you have that little thing inside of you that's not fulfilled? If we're honest, don't you have a weight inside of you for more? That even on the greatest days you want more? Don't you feel that? There's a taste and a longing for more? And C.S. Lewis would put it this way. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such things as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire with no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And until we not only look at that, but we gaze at it. Don't look at this holy city. Gaze at it. Fix your heart in it. Weigh your current circumstance daily with the weight of glory because you have not been made for this world. It is the new Jerusalem you long for. Every time, every time you feel that relationship, you want more. Every time you're at work, and there is this belief that you should have, you know, you should have all your purpose and fulfillment in a, work, in a job. Who told you that lie? It is in glory. Let the weight of glory settle your heart. Anchor your heart in eternity. And it will change your every day because you will have hope beyond this world. Lord, we pray that you would use this time. Let it anchor us, God. Let it change us, Lord. Let it anchor us, God. Let it change us, Lord. Let it change us, God. Even now, Lord, let us weigh this world and let the spirit of the living God 
fall fresh on us, Lord. In Jesus' name.